Rembrandt seeks to show through a visual medium that he as a painter can see beyond sight, that he can see beyond the superficial, that he can see the depth of human character, that he can see the sufferings and strengths of the human spirit. Welcome to Bible 365, episode 80, Rembrandt Sampson and the Nature of Sight. I'm Mayor Soloveitchik. In Frankfurt's Stadel Museum, one will find Rembrandt's 1636 depiction of the man whose tragic tale we study today, a painting called The Blinding of Samson, in which Samson's eyes are gouged out by his captors, the Philistines. In the background, we see Samson's Philistine wife, Delilah, who has taken away his miraculous strength by cutting his hair, leaving him to the mercy of his enemies. As Simon Shama has noted, Samson's writhing body, with one leg extended in the air, is an almost perfect parallel to, and clearly modeled on, Rubens's painting, Prometheus Bound, the earlier artist's depiction of the Greek character chained to a rock and twisting in pain, as a bird gouges out his entrails as a punishment for stealing the fire of the gods. Here, in the story of Samson, Rembrandt uses the same scene to tell a very different story. Rubens is relating the tale of a man remorselessly punished by uncompassionate gods. Samson, in contrast, as we will see, is the story of a man who brings about his own undoing. Rembrandt, in linking Samson to Prometheus, clearly understands that this biblical character who was endowed with Herculean strength is the figure in the Bible that most closely approximates a Greek hero. And yet, Samson's story remains in the end a Hebraic morality tale. Rembrandt's modeling of Samson on Prometheus therefore highlights simultaneously similarity and contrast, a distinction between the Hebraic and classical worlds that Rembrandt understood very well. The Israeli writer Yitzchak Kariv, cited in Nechama Lebowitz's essay on Samson, put it this way, quote, Unlike Greek tragedy, Man is brought to destruction through no arbitrary decree of the gods, but through his own willfulness. God is beneficent, and man, even the one charged with a specific mission, brings his own downfall. The Torah gives free choice to man, and that includes the one whose destiny has been marked out for him. He must show himself worthy of the trust reposed in him by his free choice of the right path. Otherwise, the partnership between him and God is broken. And Kariv added, In Greek culture, it is sufficient for the mighty man to be mighty. In the world of Israel, might must be paved with holiness, end quote. Rembrandt, then, in contrasting Samson with Prometheus, is looking for the moral lesson in the mighty Samson story. And the precise scene that he chooses is important. As the art historian Jacob Weiss has pointed out to me, Rembrandt chose a very different moment in Samson's tale than his predecessors did. Other artists, including Rubens, showed the scene of Samson asleep with Delilah sharing his locks. Indeed, Rembrandt, as a young artist, depicted just such a scene in 1629. Here, however, Rembrandt chooses instead to make reference to that moment, while focusing instead on the blinding of Samson that follows. One reading Samson's story would instinctively assume that his hair is the anatomical feature around which the tale centers. After all, it is his hair that is the symbol and source of his wild strength, and its shearing at the hands of Delilah seems to be the main source of his defeat. But Rembrandt, for whom character counts as much as image, understands that a close reading of the story indicates that it is Samson's eyes, not his hair, that are ultimately the source of his undoing. And thereby Rembrandt is teaching us a lesson at the heart of Samson's story about what it truly means to see. 
The tale of one of the most famous of biblical figures begins in the book of Judges, chapter 13. Israel is persecuted by the Philistines, and this time a new sort of hero is predestined. A revelation is given to the wife of a man named Manoach from the tribe of Dan through the appearance of an angel. Verse 3. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold now, thou art barren and bearest not, but thou shalt conceive and bear a son. Now therefore beware, I pray thee, and drink neither wine nor strong drink, and eat no unclean thing. For lo, thou shalt conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall come on his head. For the child shall be a nazir to God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hands of the Philistines. A nazir, or Nazarite, is described originally in the book of Numbers as one who deliberately abstains from wine and impurity, withdrawing from certain aspects of the world in order to achieve a particular form of holiness. In the Torah, the Nazarite is described as taking on a bit of asceticism only for a particular period of time, but this woman's child, we are informed, will be a Nazir his whole life, and implicitly this will be the source of his strength. But there is a terrible and tragic irony here. This baby will be declared a Nazir, abstaining forever from certain pleasures of the world, but ultimately it will be his own desires as an adult that will bring about his downfall. The child is born and named Samson. As he grows up, he makes manifest something that will define his life. He desires Philistine women, the women of the very same people that he was born to fight. Judges chapter 14, verse 1. And Samson went down to Timnath, and saw a woman in Timnath of the daughters of the Philistines, and he came up and told his father and his mother and said, I have seen a woman in Timnath of the daughters of the Philistines. Now therefore get her for me to wife. Then his father and his mother said unto him, Is there never a woman among the daughters of thy brethren, or among all my people, that thou goest to take a wife of the uncircumcised Philistines? And Samson said unto his father, Get her for me, for she is pleasing in my eyes. Note well the words, I have seen a woman, she is pleasing in my eyes. Sight draws Samson to this woman. And then, eventually, Sight will draw him to his other amorous pursuits, which will also involve Philistines. Samson's demand to his parents, based on what is pleasing in his eyes, is shocking, and not only because of the character traits that it might reflect. This is the man that has been foreordained by the divine to protect Israel from its enemies, and his eyes draw him away from his mission to consorting with the women of the Philistines, against whom he is currently fighting. As many note, Samson knows and he is to defend Israel from the Philistines, but he is shockingly drawn to the women of the enemy. Yet even Samson's feeling for Philistine women, according to the Bible, will become part of God's plan. He marries this woman that he has seen, and on his way to meet the Philistine woman in Timnath, he slays a lion with his own hands. Later, on his way to his wedding feast, he discovers that bees have built a hive inside the carcass so that honey can be eaten out of the dead lion. What he witnesses inspires him to concoct a riddle. From the devourer comes forth food, and from the fierce comes forth the sweet. Samson poses this riddle to the Philistines at the feast, offering them a reward if they can figure out what he is describing, but they cannot. The Philistines send Samson's wife to her husband to wheedle the answer out of him. He gives in and tells her, and she in turn tells her fellow Philistines. Chapter 14, verse 17. And she wept before him the seven days while their feast lasted, and it came to pass on the seventh day that he told her because she harassed him, and she told the riddle to the children of her people. Samson ultimately angrily kills 30 Philistines, 
Thus begins a series of extraordinary physical feats in which Samson defeats many of Israel's enemies on his own. But these tales are at times bound up with his own relationships with Philistine women. Thus, chapter 16. Then Samson went into Gaza and saw there a prostitute and went into her. And it was told, the Gazans sang, Samson has come here, and they surrounded him and laid wait for him all night in the gate of the city. Thus, thinking they can besiege him and attack him, they discover Samson is invincible. Samson lifts up the entire city gate on his own, an astonishing feat of strength. Samson is known in rabbinic literature as Shimshon Hagibor, Samson the Mighty. But the sages have also left us the famous aphorism Ezehu Gibor, who is truly mighty, Hakovesh et Yitzro, one able to overcome his urges. Samson's strength is a wonder, but he does not overcome his urges for the women of the Philistines. And he does not draw the central lesson that he ought to from his first wife's betrayal that a woman that he marries from the Philistines might remain loyal to the Philistines, and that this poses a tremendous threat to him. All this leads to verse 4 in chapter 16, and his final Philistine wife. And it came to pass afterwards that he loved a woman in the wadi of Sorak, whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, Entice him, and see in what his great strength lies, and by what means we may prevail against him, that we may bind him and torture him and we will give thee, every one of us, eleven hundred pieces of silver. Delilah asks her husband as to the source of his strength, and originally he lies, but finally she succeeds. Verse 15. And she said to him, How canst thou say I love thee when thy heart is not with thee? Samson relents and tells her in verse 17, There has not come a razor upon my head, for I have been Nazir to God from my mother's womb. If I am shaved, then my strength will go from me. Delilah cuts Samson's hair when he is asleep, and thus the scene that Rembrandt gives us occurs. Verse 21. But the Philistines took him and bored out his eyes. Samson's desire for Delilah is the source of his defeat. One might therefore say that Samson's undoing, meaning his blinding, is linked to the women of the Philistines, in his words, being pleasing in his eyes. Samson should have seen this threat coming from a mile away. But as he noted to his parents, he was too distracted by the sight of the Philistine women to see what was truly important. Perhaps Rembrandt understood this, and that is why, instead of the cutting of Samson's hair, Rembrandt chose to emphasize the blinding of Samson. And if so, Rembrandt is remarkably artistically expressing an idea that the rabbis had already taught centuries before. For the Talmud said, Samson rebelled through his eyes, as it is said in Samson said unto his father, Get her from me, because she is pleasing in my eyes. Therefore the Philistines put out his eyes. As it is said, and the Philistines laid hold on him and put out his eyes. So the Talmud tells us. The rabbinic teaching here is not only about Samson, but about us. The Torah in Numbers discusses the purpose of the tzitzit, the blue and white strings on Israelite garments. And you will see it, and remember the commandments of the Lord, and not go astray after your heart and your eyes. Sight is simultaneously a powerful religious tool, yet it is also an aspect of life whose dangers we must guard against. The tzitzit, offering a visual image, is used to remind us that ultimately insight is more important than sight. Similarly, in The Blinding of Samson, Rembrandt is treating us to a complex visual experience about the dangers of vision. He is presenting us with a scene of what Simon Shama calls Samson's, quote, redemptive immolation, end quote, meaning that this blinding was a punishment for Samson's moral blindness, or as Shama further puts it, quote, now that his eyes were out, 
he could at last see things right, end quote. This is, I think, exactly right, because as we read further in Judges, Samson, blind and in prison, suddenly sees God directly and gives us a prayer unlike any that he utters in the text before. Verse 29, And Samson called out to the Lord and said, O Lord God, remember me, I pray thee, and strengthen me. I pray thee, only this once, O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for one of my two eyes. So he prays, and as a reward for this devout prayer, Samson has his strength restored, and he brings down the Philistine prison house on all his enemies and also on himself. Shama is correct. Now, at the end of his life, Samson could finally and fully see spiritually. And the genius of Rembrandt is that he was a painter who understood that one sees ultimately not only with the eyes, but also with the soul. Rembrandt seeks to show through a visual medium that he as a painter can see beyond sight, that he can see beyond the superficial, that he can see the depth of human character, that he can see the sufferings and strengths of the human spirit. The art historian E.H. Gombrich said that if Rembrandt was a great artist, it was because, quote, in Rembrandt's great portraits, we feel face-to-face with real people. We sense their warmth, their need for sympathy, and also their loneliness and their suffering. Those keen and steady eyes that we know so well from Rembrandt's self-portraits must have been able to look straight into the human heart, end quote. Rembrandt was able to do this, and his heartbreaking portrait of Samson captures the tragic lessons of his life, but it also reminds us to truly see what is important in our lives. Rabbi J.J. Schachter tells us how a friend of his was at the Western Wall in Jerusalem and overheard a blind man who was not praying from the liturgy, but rather speaking personally to God, telling him about his children, asking for the Almighty's help, describing his youngest son at the end of the conversation with the divine, and suddenly realizing aloud that he had already discussed his younger son with God at their last encounter. And Rabbi Schachter commented, something to the effect about how striking it was that this blind man saw God so much more clearly than most of us in our lives actually do. The tale reminded me of an image I believe I've mentioned on Bible 365, a photo by David Rubinger of a blind Yemenite boy arriving in Israel, the land of his dreams, and caressing a relief map of the Holy Land, a photo that Rubinger titled, Seeing the Homeland. It was the writer Yossi Kleinalevi who commented, that the message of Rubinger's image is that, quote, love provided a deeper way of seeing than mere physical sight. Rembrandt understood this. To utilize sight to further rather than detract from insight, to see the souls of those among us, to see the presence of God in our midst, this is the essential task of the Jew. This is a calling that Rembrandt inspires us to see. This is Mayor Soloveitchik. Looking forward to learning together tomorrow. Signing off.